Happy Easter, everybody. He has risen. And as we used to say at Bethlehem all the time, He is risen, and you respond, He's risen indeed. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. We serve a risen Savior, and because of that, we have victory. Thank you so much for choosing for Lindsay Lane North to be the place where you will worship with your family today. I mean, we are so excited to have every one of you. I tried to meet. We got a lot of new faces. I tried to meet everybody at the door. If I did not, I want you to know that we have a gift for you. If this is your first time here, we want to be able to love on you. We want to know that you're here. We've got those connect cards. As Cheryl mentioned on the video, we'd love for you to fill out. Give us a record. We're not going to hunt you down. We're not going to show up unannounced when you're about to eat dinner, those kind of things. We just want to reach out to you and let you know how excited we were to have you. And we've got a gift for you at the Next Steps table as you leave. So hopefully we can catch those of you that haven't gotten received that gift already uh, because we want to love on you and just tell you how much we appreciate you choosing Lindsay Lane North to worship on this glorious, victorious Easter Sunday. The title of my message today is Greater. Greater. I believe, we believe as a church, whether this is your first time here or whether you've been here from the jump, we believe that God has greater things in store for you. It is in the nature of our God to do greater things in us. And you listen, guys, we worship like this every week, man. We have a great time. It's not just because it's Easter. A lot of work has gone in to pulling this Easter service off, but we do this every Sunday. And we would love to have you be a part of what God is doing here in Elkmont, Alabama. So when I think of the word greater, as we were trying to discuss the direction that we would head in this service, uh, all three campuses are doing the, tracking the same theme, just tracking a little differently. Um, there was one thing that stuck out in my head way back to my school days. Not too far back, okay? Not too far back. But back in my school days, there was one symbol that I really couldn't get out of my head as we talk about the idea of greater. What's this symbol right here? What, is it, what does it mean? Greater than. Now, our worship pastor, who apparently is more advanced in arithmetic than I am, told me that this is not, does not mean greater, okay? It means greater than, right? And so the word greater really requires that there be something to compare it to, right? If you're going to have greater, you've got to have greater, you've got to have good, right? There's got to be something to compare it to. And so we look at our relationship with Christ... What are we comparing to? If God has greater things in store, then we're comparing it to who we were before. And I believe based upon that, based on the promise of God's word, if you will draw near to him today, he has greater things in store for you. And so today we're going to do, just because I couldn't get this idea out of my head, we're going to do a little comparison this morning, okay? And this, we're going to track this throughout the, the, the service. We're going to do a little comparison. We're going to compare a couple things as it relates to Scripture and how God has proven that he is a God of greater. And so the first place we're going to find that is Matthew chapter 12. 
Matthew chapter 12. If you'll turn in your copy of God's Word or you'll scroll to your copy of God's Word or however it is that you have access to God's Word, we want you to access it. It's going to be on the screen as well, but we want you to follow along. Matthew chapter 12, the first thing that we're going to find is Jesus was a greater person. He was a greater person. This is also found in your bulletins on the back there. You can uh, fill in the blanks as we go. Jesus was a greater person. Matthew chapter 12. Before we, we do that, can we just pray? Can we just pray and bathe God's word in prayer? Not for the sake of God's word, but for the sake of our hearts and our ears that we would be receptive to hear. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living and active. And God, I don't take lightly the responsibility you've given me, God, to rightly divide your word. And so, Father, we ask that you would speak through it, that you would hide me away, that it wouldn't be Alan's voice that they hear, but it would be your words in my lip, through my lips. God, that you would change hearts and change lives as only your word can do. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for the message you have for us today. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Listen what it says. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. And when they began to pluck the heads of grain and to eat. But the Pharisees saw it and they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, this is being Jesus, Have you not read that day, what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and he ate bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. The greatest example of civic leadership that the people of God had, the Jews had, he threw them under the bus. Then he says in verse 4, how, um, excuse me, in verse 5, Or have you not read in the law how the, on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Everybody has off on Sunday but the pastor, right? And we're working and worship pastor too, and I don't want to leave him out. He might get upset and get, get moody, but... Uh, That we work on the Sabbath, right? And he said, listen, if you're saying that we have to rest on the Sabbath, that's fine and good for everybody except the guy that's got to keep the thing rolling. And now we worship on the Lord's Day and we worship in light of resurrection instead of how the Jews did. But the the concept is consistent. Listen to what it says in verse 6. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. To understand this passage of Scripture, you've got to understand something about Jewish law and the context that Jesus was living in. You see, in the Old Testament, there are over 600 commands of God found in the text of the Old Testament. Over 600 laws. Now, that's a ton, right? You thought they were 10. There's 600, there's 613, 617, depending on the criteria for what a command is. Over 600 commands are found in the Old Testament. And many of these commands deal with the temple. So our first point of comparison today is the temple. They deal with, it does say the temple, right? Last service it did not. We had them switched, all right? Deals with the temple. The temple was the way that God's people accessed God. 
accessed his presence. They would go physically to the temple. They would give sacrifices to the Lord. They couldn't come just wherever they wanted to or at their home. They had to go to the temple, make sacrifices for sin. They would come to the temple and they would pray. They would go to the temple in order to help keep these 600 plus Jewish laws that were given to them so that they could access the presence of God. And so the story of the Old Testament is how God's people would or would not be obedient to all of these laws. Spoiler alert. They weren't. They weren't. In fact, no one was. That there was no way under God's green earth that man could abide by all 600 plus laws. The standard of holiness that God set. In fact, Paul would say later. As he understood the law, the more he understood the law, the more he understood his sin. The more he understood that he could not provide salvation in and of himself. But here's the thing. The disciples weren't breaking one of these 600 rules. They were breaking another set of rules. Because here's what the Jewish people decided to do. Well, we can't keep these 600 laws. I've failed, you've failed. We need to create buffer laws. We need to create laws that will prevent us from getting anywhere near breaking the Jewish laws. And so on top of the 600 laws, they had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of laws that they called the tradition of the elders. And in many cases, they put this on equal ground with the law. And so they had the traditions that they, would, that they would help insulate them from breaking God's law. You know the problem with the tradition of the elders? Jesus would say, in you keeping the traditions of the elders, you have actually started breaking my law. So even their attempt to help them keep the law, their, their attempt to, hey, if, if we can't keep these rules, then we need to give, us, give ourselves more rules. They could not do it. When Jesus entered on the Sabbath day and his disciples grabbed grain. One of the laws that they broke was that you cannot work on the Sabbath. And so what is work? The act of grabbing heads of grain and rubbing them in your hand to thresh them out, to have the whole fall off, to expose the grain, they considered work. So you were literally not allowed to grab grain, rub it in your hands, So that you would have exposed grain to eat on the Sabbath. They broke the tradition of the elders. And then God tells them, tells them, right? He tells them, Jesus tells them. He gives them two examples of of men that were very, very important in their life. Of people that were very important. David, who was the great civic leader. And then the priests who were responsible for upkeep in the temple. They were to do everything, and yet they themselves are worshiping, are, are working on the Sabbath as you define it. And so what it shows us is there was nothing that man could do to make themselves right. There is nothing that we could do in and of ourselves in order to make us righteous. The response of the religious leaders in Israel was to add more rules and regulations to hopefully prevent them from breaking the law. And in rural North Alabama, we have a similar law system. Now, it may not be written anywhere, but you got people in our community 
You think of them, when you think of them, you think of them and regard them warmly. Why? Because, yeah, they may have their problems, and they're not perfect. But, dude, that guy is so good, he would give you the shirt off his back. We have cute expressions to dictate to us, to show us this idea of morality that we have. That we create for ourselves things and religious demands that we should do. So we give to the poor. We help others out. We get involved in tornado relief. We, we come to church. These are things that we do in an effort to gain access to God. But what did Jesus say? What could be better than the temper, temple? What could be better than the way God gave his people for hundreds of years to have access to himself? Jesus said, something greater than the temple is here. You know what he was referencing? He was referencing himself. Because God's presence no longer rested in a tent, it rested in flesh. It rested in Jesus. That he was claiming to be greater than the temple because of the work that he would do. Don't mix it. In this statement, he is claiming to be God. In your notes... Greater living does not require me coming to God. That is the morality as we like to think of it, isn't it? Me getting to God. I am, I am trying to do good. I'm trying to make my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. And if I can do that, then in the end, I'm a good guy. So maybe I'll go to heaven. Church, that has not worked and that will never work. The problem with the temple is that the work was never done. There was always more sins to be forgiven. There was always more sacrifices to be made. Why? Because people are boneheads. They make mistakes. They blow it time and time and time again. So the work of the temple was never done. Jesus said something greater than the temple is here. You know what the writer of Hebrews says? Through Christ, through his death, right? We're celebrating his death, burial, and resurrection today. It's why you're here, I hope. It's why you're here. But through his death, burial, and resurrection, the Bible says that Jesus entered the Holy of Holies, right? A place in the temple. He entered a heavenly Holy of Holies. And he didn't come with the blood of bulls and goats to make sacrifices for sin. He came with his own blood. And instead of having to offer his own blood over and over and over again, which was the custom of the temple, the Bible says Jesus offered his gift once and for all. And guess what he did? He sat down. The work of salvation is through. It is not about us. Greater living is not a requirement of us to get to God, to come to God. But God coming to me. Jesus was saying that he was, Jesus was claiming to be God, that we couldn't get to God on our own through our own righteousness. And I don't care how hard we try. Some of you may have been, be at your wits end trying to do the right thing. But even the good need God. And Jesus came, God came to us because we could not get 
to him. Greater living begins when we understand the life that we have in Christ because he came to us. Every religion in the world seeks to earn the love of their God. Earn the love of this eternal, this divine being. Our gospel, the Christian gospel, begins with the love of God. We don't fight for God's love. We fight from God's love. God loves us, and in light of that, we live for him. God demonstrated his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christianity is unique in that God's love was freely given from the jump, and we live in light of that love. Jesus is greater than the temple because he has finished his work, because he is God come down to man so that we have eternal access with God. So we're here celebrating the work of Jesus Christ, the God-man, and his life, his death, his burial, and resurrection today. But that's not the end of the story. If it were, our New Testament would be four chapters long. Four and a little bit of Acts. Our New Testament is 27 chapters long, or 27 books long, church. 27 books long. Telling us that God had something else in store even after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to look at that today, secondly, in a greater plan. John 14. John 14 beginning in verse 10, tells us about the greater plan that God has in store for every one of you. If it's not us trying to earn and achieve Christ on our, God on our own merits, then what is it that God is requiring for us today? What is the response that God is requiring of you today in light of his love? We find the greater plan in John 14. Beginning in verse 10, listen what it says. Do not believe, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? These are the words of Jesus. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus was the first man to ever have Full access to God. He he had the presence of God living within him. Why? Because he wasn't born of man. He was born of God. Of the seed of woman. And so because of that, he had access. He had a relationship. The God lived within him through the Holy Spirit. But listen. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these Will he do because I am going to the Father? Now, in my life, I have had moments of theological weakness. I know what God's Word says. Sometimes it just don't always, it doesn't always line up. Like when I was in high school, and I'm in a high school football locker room. And if you've played high school sports, you know some of the stuff that goes on in a football locker room. And as these things are transpiring, and I'm witnessing these things, I have a fleeting thought in my mind. What if Jesus just poofed into the room? What if Jesus just showed up in the middle of whatever junk these people were doing? 
right? The egg that would be on their face. Can you imagine their eyes, right? Eyeballs bulging out, hitting the floor, right? Jesus in the room, I am caught red-handed, right? Or at my house when my kids are acting a fool. I'm like, this parenting thing would be a lot easier if Jesus would just show up on this couch. If he'd just show up on this couch and you would see that you aren't making God happy, you're making God sad, and if he would just show up, Things would get easier at my house. The disciples had access to God with them. Think about it. What could be better than Jesus, the Son of God, walking with you everywhere you went? That is awesome. You need to know where Jesus is? He's right over here in this last room. Like, we ate together. We, we hung out together. We chilled together. He's a cool dude, right? We cracked jokes together. Like, this is Jesus walking with me. Of course the disciples minded their P's and Q's. The Son of God was with them, right? Do you know where the church grew when Jesus was here? Where Jesus was. That's where the church grew. Jesus would develop followers and disciples. Listen, the sum total of Jesus' ministry, devoted ministry at least, was 120 people. That's who was gathered in the upper room. Where Jesus was, he changed lives. But God had a different, a greater plan in store. What could be better than God with me? John 14, 15 through 17. And I will ask the Father. Remember he just said, right? Greater works do ye than these. Are you kidding me? Greater works than Jesus? How is that possible? If, Laz- if, if, if God raised Lazarus from the dead, if Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, can I raise my whole family from the dead? Like, I mean, where does this end? And he's not talking about in terms of quality. He's talking about in quantity. Because what does he say right after that? I am going to the Father. So what does that conversation look like? Verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. I'm asking the Father. Why I'm going to the Father is to ask the Father to send you the helper, the paraclete. Not parakeet, that's something different, kids. The paraclete, the one who comes alongside. I am giving you my Holy Spirit. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be church in you. You know the only thing in the world that could be better than God with me is what we see in the New Testament. What we see For the 19 books after Jesus ascends to heaven. We don't see God with me anymore. We see something greater. We see God in me. The Holy Spirit is given to man... Pentecost, right? Now we look at the old, the old disciples and we're like, hey man, I really can relate to Peter. Like he's an idiot sometimes and he says things he, he shouldn't sometimes. And, 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 and Peter, you know, he, it, listen, you can't be in a good headspace if you're rebuking the Son of God, right? Bad idea, don't do it. But Peter did it, right? And we look at him and we go, man, I can relate to that. Dude opens his mouth a ton. I can relate to that. 
Dude makes mistakes. I can relate to that. After Pentecost, after we, we sung it just a few minutes ago, the Pentecostal fire fell. After holy, the Holy Spirit came down to dwell in the hearts of believers, we don't see the same fumbling, bumbling Peter anymore. We see a man who stands before the entire nation of Israel and delivers a message in the state capital, in the, in the capital of the country, and thousands of people come to Jesus. We see a man who the next day sees thousands of people come to Jesus and the next day, and the next day, who's the pastor of the church of Jerusalem? Peter is. What changed? Not God with me. In fact, have you ever read what some of the disciples struggled with? Like, God, Jesus was telling them over and over again, why, do you, why, are you, why don't you have faith? Why don't you believe, right? Why? Because it was God with them. We have access to God in us. And it has made all the difference. In your notes, greater living does not require God being with me, but God being in me. The word Christian was meant to be a slight on the church. It was meant to be something that would, was used to make fun of believers, in Antioch, where the, it was the first place, the first time that we see Christians called Christians. And the word literally meant little Christs. The idea was, we've dealt with Jesus. We crucified him, right? We crucified Jesus and he's gone. You know, they say he's ascended whatever, he beat, it, beat death, but at least he's not here anymore, right? Jesus is gone and now we have all these little Christs. And they're just scurrying about, right? They're just running around being thorns in our side and they never, church, they never got a handle on Christians. In fact, it spread globally and we are here as a result of them, of their ministry and of their testimony. Not God with them. Now, because God has given us his spirit, we house the presence of God. So guess what? When we leave here, sure, we're God's presence here gathered. When we leave here, I'm going to Hazel Green to hang out with Papa and hunt some Easter eggs, right? Guess who's going with me? The presence of God. When you go to your home, if you have a relationship with Christ, Christ what's going to your home? The presence of God. And so we are bringing the presence of God wherever we are. This is the story of the Old, of the New Testament. This is how God in me is greater than God with me. God resided in Christ. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, he made a way for him to reside in us. And church, thirdly and finally, there is great power in that truth. So we will look at a greater power in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3 beginning in verse 19. We've already discussed that there is nothing in us that can achieve any semblance of righteousness. I mean, even if we do good for a time, 
right? We're going to fall to sin. It's a matter of time. Paul would say, I have to die daily, right? Because sin is a reality for us as believers. But there is a greater power that is available to us. Ephesians 3, 19 through 20. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you hear the contradiction there? Hey, listen, y'all, I want you to know something. Cooper, Hudson, my boys, I want y'all to know something. By the way, what I'm going to tell you is unknowable. Talk about setting someone up for failure, right? I want you to know something that surpasses knowledge. Well, great. At least you're not asking for the impossible, right? And then he goes further and says, and I want you to be filled with all the fullness of God. Can I ask you, church, how does all that God is fit within our temporary self? It can't. We can't contain it. And so he gives us two statements that seem completely opposed to each other. This is the ultimate oxymoron for a Greek reading this text of Scripture. How can these things be? Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power within us. Our final comparison I think every well-meaning person in this room, I think we desire to be in God's will. I think we do. I think we want to do the right thing. We want to live righteously. Right? We want to do right. We're good old boys and girls, right? We want to be that way. We want to be good. But we have a fatal flaw. Our fatal flaw is we don't just have God's will vying for our attention in our life. We have our own will. And as far as we in our flesh are concerned, this equation wins every time. Though I know to do good, though I want to do good, though God has his standards that I recognize and understand, my will wins every time. I am selfish. I am prideful. From the very beginning, humankind was. Do you know what we call this equation? Sin. My will trumping God's will. It's sin. I want to call the shots for me. And so in our life, we live with this. And listen, guys, outside of Christ, this never changes. This never changes. We can try, 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 but this is why we don't have the power to gain access to God. And so we'll view this jug here as ourselves, as the sum total of who we are, our heart, our soul, our flesh. And as you can still see, right, through the lens of ourself, the equation's the same, right? God's will is subservient to our will. God's, our will is greater than God's will. But this is not where you have to remain. Because God has given us His Holy Spirit. God has given us His Holy Spirit. 
And because he's given us his Holy Spirit, it's not about our capabilities and our ability to change. It's about being filled, as Ephesians 3 says, being filled with the fullness of God. How long this has taken to pour reminds me of my marriage vows and the great idea we had to do unity sand. Let's just say a lot more of my wife's sand made it into the jar than mine. That's a joke. But when we're filled with the fullness of God, something miraculous happens. Y'all see it? Move the funnel here. Y'all see it? Something incredible changes. We are powerless to change ourselves, But nothing changed about the jug. But everything changed in what filled the jug. It's the same way in our relationship with Christ. You can't change yourself, so stop trying. It's not about how hard we try. It's about how willing we are to surrender. To allow ourselves to be filled with the fullness of God. Greater living does not require me working for God. You will work yourself to the bone and you will never reach holiness. But it is God working in me. And so the invitation today is simple. Resurrection power is made available to you and to me through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not God with me, it's God in me. It's not the religious demands of the temple, it's what Jesus finished on the cross, what he proved in his glorious resurrection. And church, we can be filled with the Spirit of God. If we are willing to surrender our life to him, it's a relationship with Christ. That's what God is offering to you and to me. And you know what Paul says after receiving the power of God, after receiving the fullness of God? He says the same power that conquered the grave, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can raise you as well. Not a physical raising, but a spiritual and eternal raising. God can change the equation of your life if you will allow him to fill you with his presence. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? As we enter a time of invitation today, want you to know if you don't have a relationship with Christ he loves you and you can work 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 all day long the beauty of the gospel is that you couldn't do it on your own so Jesus did it for you remember God came down we didn't go to him so if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ he loves you God loves you He sent his son to 
die for you. Making a way, giving you the opportunity to allow yourself to to have His presence, the powerful presence of Almighty God through His Holy Spirit to fill your body. He changes you from the inside. allow external factors to prevent you from doing what you need to do to be in obedience to God at His invitation. If God is drawing your heart to salvation, surrender. Quit trying so hard and surrender. Give up. Give up. Come to Him. Let Him fill you. Christ, I would love for you. I would invite you to come find this center aisle, find myself here in the front. Listen, I've got a mask in my back pocket. We're going to handle this COVID stuff, all right? I've got a mask in my back pocket. We will we'll take care of all that stuff, but we want you. I want you. The most important thing we can communicate to you is the importance of a relationship with Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Without worrying about what anyone else thinks, without worrying about what your family's going to think or the plans that you're going to interrupt, by making this decision today, I would ask you to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come find me here at the front. We've got counselors that would love to talk to you about the relationship. We'll, we'll take you away. You won't be in front of everybody. We're not going to embarrass you or anything like that. This is a safe place, but we want you to respond to Jesus in boldness. right by and maybe you need to do business here at the altar. Pray before God for whatever it is that you need to lay down before Him. Or maybe somebody that God's laid on your heart to teach this lesson to, to preach this gospel to. Maybe you need to intercede for them here at this altar. It's open and available for you. Don't leave this moment without doing business. Without being obedient.